welcome to Modern Food Thinking. This is your host, Chef Jerome Picca, along with co-host Rachel Lucas, owner of Fueling Strong. This show is brought to you by Spazio Rosso Interior Design, and here we present to you our unique perspectives on food as it relates to health and wellness. In this episode titled Macronutrients, the skinny on the big three, we will dive deep into fats, carbohydrates, and proteins. These are the macronutrients I'm referring to. Question one that I have is, why are these three considered macro rather than micronutrients? Though I did ask the question, I am also going to answer it. And the short answer is that the compounds that make up these macronutrients are used in a much larger quantity than the micronutrients that are also needed for proper health function. Uh, It really is that simple, but what are the functions of these nutrients? Fats are used to protect organs and tissues provide body insulation, and help metabolize fat-soluble vitamins. Proteins, on the other hand, are the building blocks used for developing organs and provide structure for tissue development, and carbohydrates provide fuel for the body. This is the simple answer, but just as with every episode Rachel and I do, the answer is never simple. And we're about to get into the science of these mystery components. Uh, Rachel, I thought we could talk about these one at a time, starting with proteins. Where do we obtain proteins and how do our bodies use them? You started with my favorite macronutrient. Not only does protein act as a building block in our bodies, but it is incredibly satiating, meaning it's quite hard to overeat protein. This is the main reason when I'm working with nutrition clients, we focus on this macronutrient first, but more on that later. Some sources of protein that I generally recommend, the most obvious are animal-based, beef, lamb, seafood like shrimp or lobster, fish, eggs, egg whites, poultry like chicken or turkey. Um, And there is protein in most of what we eat, including plant products as well. So there's three grams of protein in a cup of broccoli, four grams of protein in a medium-sized baked potato, five grams of protein in a cup of quinoa. Then when we're talking about those animal-based proteins, you're looking at uh, quite higher numbers. So 40 grams of protein in a cup of chicken breast, 65 grams of protein in a cup of ground beef, and 17 grams of protein in a cup of Greek yogurt. If you're working out really in any capacity, you need to make sure you're consuming enough protein. It will work in your body to rebuild your muscles and help prevent injuries. If you're trying to lose weight, You will also want to focus on enough protein in your diet, and here's why. When we consume protein, and this is more true for animal-based proteins than other types, it takes our body a lot of energy to break it down. So if you're eating, say, 500 calories of chicken, 30% of those calories, or about 150 of them, are used up in the digestion and breaking down of that chicken you just ate. Now, I don't like to focus too much on calorie counting, and I'm sure someday we'll do an entire episode on that, but I share those numbers to hopefully help people understand protein is your friend. It is incredibly beneficial for keeping your body strong and yourself feeling full. Yeah, Rachel, that's excellent, and I I think it would be a great idea for us to put calories into our pipeline for talking about at some time in the future, uh, the new podcast, but... um, Listeners, hopefully we're starting to make some sense out of this, and we do have more information to add. So folks, proteins are made up of amino acids, sometimes sequentially organized, and some that are what are called branched chain amino acids. As Rachel stated, they are obtained from all food sources, 
but are not always metabolized the same way. In other words, not all proteins are created equal, and your body will not use available proteins in the same manner. Uh, and Rachel, in a previous episode on protein powders, you brought up collagen peptides and their role in skin and tissue health. And here I'm referring to the larger collagen molecule, not the smaller peptides that make up full protein compound structures. So collagen is the connective tissue found in animal meat products. We have it in our own bodies and it helps our joints move and muscles stay connected. A loss of collagen as we age can be seen in the form of wrinkles and stiff joints and diminished muscle mass. Other symptoms of aging are forgetfulness and uh, well, I forgot what I was about to say, but it is not related to a lack of protein. So just a quick science note here. Proteins are generally made up of 50 or more amino acid linked chains, whereas peptides are usually comprised of 2 to 20 linked chains. And it only takes four amino acids to create these small and large proteins. I hope that didn't sound too confusing, but let me leave you with this point before handing it back to you, Rachel. And that is proteins also help balance hormones and the acid base in our bodies, as well as help facilitate enzymes and metabolic functions. A little more on amino acids. They are categorized into three groups, non-essential amino acids, meaning our bodies can make these ourselves. We do not need to get these from the food that we eat, although you can. Essential amino acids, which we cannot make ourselves, we must get them from our diets, and conditionally essential amino acids, which are the ones we can make, but not always effectively, um, particular when we are under physical stress, like hard athletic training or being sick. So where does that leave us? If you noticed, I didn't try to pronounce any of these amino acids today. And there's a reason for that besides me not wanting to stumble over my own words. I believe it's not that important to understand the differences between specific amino acids or which ones you need more of. The best route for most of us is to keep your protein sources as diverse as possible. Just like there is no best diet or one size fits all, there is no single best protein source. If we choose a wide selection of whole, less processed foods, a balanced range of those amino acids will come naturally to our diets. And the last thing I'd like to mention about proteins is how much. Now, this is widely debated, but here's what I think. The average person eating the standard American diet is probably not protein deficient because they are relatively sedentary omnivores, meaning they don't need much for repair or rebuilding, and they're eating um, a variety of animal products and dairy products. But deficient does not mean optimal. An easy formula, and I use that word easy uh, only if you have a calculator in hand, is roughly 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body mass. Jerome, do you have any thoughts on how much protein we need? Uh, yes. I'm just going to go back to your point about not pronouncing any of the amino acids. The only one I even have memorized is tryptophan, because if you're a fan of Seinfeld, you will know what tryptophan is, or if you're <laughs> a fan of Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, but uh, thanks for giving our listeners such great information. Uh, that current recommended daily allowance for protein you talk about, Rachel, eight-tenths of a gram per kilogram of body weight is, is correct, and it's published. Uh, but surrounding this guideline put out by the National Academy of Science is much confusion and misunderstanding. The first of all is the metric measurement system and how confusing it can be for most Americans. 
this speaks directly to your point about having a calculator. And second are the wide uh, swings in requirements needed by an individual's personal size, their weight, their daily activity, age, and other factors. For example, the National Institutes of Health defines the RDA or recommended daily allowance as, and I'm quoting here, sufficient to meet the nutrient requirements of 97 to 98% of all healthy individuals. And that's a pretty broad description and really, it's left wide open for interpretation. So to put this into a more understandable perspective, someone who weighs, for example, 150 pounds should be consuming about 54 grams of protein daily. Again, this is according to the NIH recommended daily allowance. So 54 grams of protein is the equivalent of a six ounce portion of lean white meat or seafood. Again, going back to Rachel's point earlier, I'll go on with nine eggs, for example, or two and a half cups of tofu or close to eight ounces of peanut butter and just about seven cups of cooked lentils. So between Rachel's points and what I'm saying, I think you get the picture. And Rachel, I agree with you that daily protein intake does not have to be single source, nor is it a hard requirement. It is based on all of the factors we've mentioned and the amount of protein your body requires will ultimately be determined by your body. So what I'm saying is listen to what your body is saying and be tuned to it. So what is a carbohydrate and how do we get it and what does it do for you? And for that, I'm going to hand it back to you, Rachel, for some guidance. All right. We went from my favorite topic, which is protein, to my least favorite topic, which is carbohydrates, which is only because of how debated their consumption is. Um, if anyone's popped into Google, like low-carb diets, there's, there's an overwhelming amount of information saying you should eat less carbs, you should eat more carbs, carbs are the worst, carbs are the best. But anyways, what is a carbohydrate? We have simple carbs, also known as simple sugars, which have a basic ring structure. Now, some of this will sound familiar to our listeners who heard our episode on sugars. One ring is called a monosaturide. Two rings joined are a disaturide. A few rings joined together are called an oligosaturide. And when these link together in more intricate structures, they become glycogen, starches, and various types of fiber, also known as complex carbohydrates. Now, all carbohydrates are ultimately broken down into glucose in our bodies, and we need glucose to live. So do we need carbohydrates to live? There are ways for your body to make its own glucose without any dietary carbohydrate consumption, but for most of us, including carbs, especially complex ones, is the way to go. Low carb is a pretty popular craze right now. I often hear from clients that they have a friend that went on a zero carb diet and lost 15 pounds in the first week or something equally as drastic. Um, and here's a little fun fact for our listeners about that. Most of that initial weight loss has to do with the fact that carbohydrates do retain some water in our bodies because they are partially made up of water. Therefore, when we remove all carbs from our diet, we initially lose a whole bunch of water rate weight right off the bat. Um, but how important is that drop on the scale? Not very, because most of it is not actually body fat loss. Okay, but I, I got a little sidetracked there. But I do think that's something uh, important for people to understand about that phenomenon of low-carb diets and that initial drop in weight. 
So back on track now. When we think about carbohydrates' purposes in our body, it is quick energy, as Jerome stated when he started us off. Uh, Think the kindling on a fire that gets it started. Um, Carbs are, for the most part, easily digested and used up by our bodies very quickly. Just like I said with protein, there is not one size fits all for carbohydrate intake. Your activity level, your insulin sensitivity, your carb sensitivity, and your body composition goals are just a few things that could change how much you need. Some of my personal favorite carbohydrate sources are potatoes, fruit, and rice. So listeners, I hope this is a, a this is starting to make some sense. And Rachel's points are important to remember. Uh, carbohydrates can be found in uh, all plants and dairy products alike, and they are metabolized differently in our bodies. At a fundamental level, the bond of carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen as a single water-soluble compound is what we call a carbohydrate. The facilitation of useful energy from carbohydrate is dictated by the number of saccharides or, or sugar molecules as Rachel mentioned, and attached to this compound. Thus, we get mono, di, and polysaccharides. So now that you know the difference between good carbs that are found in all fruits, vegetables, and legumes versus bad carbs found in processed foods, sweetened drinks, candies, and other junk food that some of my friends eat, let's move on to fats. I have to start this topic by saying dietary fat does not make you fat. High-fat foods are more energy-dense. They contain almost twice the amount of calories in the same portion size as protein or carbohydrates, but that does not mean a high-fat diet will make you fat. All fat consumed is broken down by the body into fatty acids and glycerol, which are then repackaged in various ways before being used by the body. You need dietary fat in your diet for sustained energy. If you remember, I referred to carbohydrates as the kindling on the fire, while fats are the logs that keep the fire burning. Fat is also vital in our hormone production, the formation of cell membranes, creation of brain and nervous systems, transportation of our fat-soluble vitamins, which are E, D, A, and K. So how do we get our dietary fat? Some of my go-tos are avocados, coconut in basically all of its forms, sunflower seeds, ghee, and olive oil. Jerome, do you want to share some of your favorites? Oh, yes, absolutely. I would first point out that all vegetables, most fruits contain fats in usable form. And listeners, if you recall in our episode on fats, Rachel brought up studies done by Dr. Benjamin Ansel Keys in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, which sought to link consumption of fat with weight gain. We now know this to be false and unverified, despite the food pyramids that were developed during the Nixon era. Uh, I agree with you, Rachel, on coconut oil in all its forms, and I will add all nuts as good sources of dietary fats. However, if you are allergic to both true nuts and tree nuts, then simply look to your vegetable choices, and certainly avocados are a great source of dietary fat. Olive oil, particularly extra virgin olive oil, is one of the best dietary fats you can safely consume because it is a monounsaturated fat. And this is important because a fat of this nature helps reduce the levels of low-density lipoproteins, also known as the bad LDL cholesterol. For an example of a less healthy oil, look no further than canola oil. And I'll use this as an example. There are others out there, but I'll use this because it is widespread. It's easily found on store shelves and an oil I used to promote in the 80s as a neutral oil for cardiovascular health. 
and oh, what a few decades of research and self-education can do to educate a person. I no longer recommend or use canola oil. The oil is a GMO of the rapeseed plant, and I will use this as an example of an oil to best avoid by describing the manufacturing process. The rapeseed plant contains toxic levels of erucic acid and glucosinolates. However, through crossbreeding, hence the GMO moniker, the active poisonous compounds are greatly reduced. The extraction of oil process for the hybrid plant called canola, which is a conjugation of Canada and ola or oil, begins with crushing, heating, and pressing the seeds. This is fine so far, but in order to extract more oil, the remaining seeds are treated with a solvent extract called hexane. And folks, this solvent is an industrial cleaner and decreaser, and it has been shown to cause long-lasting nerve damage to hands, feet, legs, and arms. This has been known for over 40 years. You could certainly find more information on this in the National uh, Library of Medicine. Uh, the excess hexane is removed, however, through steam cleaning, but I will just leave it at that. I won't go into other shelf oils due to time constraints, but I will go back to food recommendations. I suggest eat dark leafy greens. Also consume seafood, as Rachel mentioned. And if you're not interested in seafood, try sea plants. I use dulse spirulina, Irish moss, wakame, and nori regularly. And all three are great sources of omega-3 fatty acids, meaning the fatty molecule contains three carbon atoms with the third atom having a protein bond attached. Omega-3 fatty acids are a group of polyunsaturated fats that help regulate blood pressure, mitigate joint pain, and muscle stiffness. They also help create the hormones that regulate blood clotting. After hearing that process to make canola oil, it's hard to understand how or why it's still so popular. And, you know, we won't get into any conspiracy theories or, or big companies, but I think it's important for people to understand where that comes from. So a note here on omega fatty acids. The standard American diet is high in omega-6s, which are pro-inflammatory. Now, our bodies do need to experience inflammation sometimes to heal and repair, but the omega-3s act as an anti-inflammatory substance. The balance between these two is very important to our overall health. If you eat a diet inclusive of the fats Jerome and I have talked about, seafood, avocado, coconut, nuts, and seeds, you will have a pretty good balance between the two. But if you are eating the standard American diet, especially one with lots of canola oil and processed foods, you will be consuming far too many omega-6s, which can result in chronic and systemic inflammation. All right. So folks, I hope that has shed some light on the world of macronutrients. And we hope you've learned a little bit about these important elements to our food health. We thank you for listening to this episode of Modern Food Thinking with Jerome Pekka and Rachel Lucas, owner of Feeling Strong and edited by Jeremy Nessel. Our next episode will air in two weeks. Please join us then. You can listen to this podcast through Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Alexa, through the free app for iOS and Android, or wherever you get your podcasts. To sign up for Rachel's private coaching sessions, visit her website at fueling-strong.com. To sign up for private group or general cooking classes with me, visit chef-jerome.com. This is Jerome Pekka, 
And this is Rachel Lucas. From both of us, we hope you stay well, eat well, and be well. 